The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor for the magazine. In this episode, you'll hear from Alec Pasella, CCIM, Managing Partner at NAI PBC in Cleveland. In our conversation, we discuss Alec's 11 years as an instructor for CCIM Institute, which led him to being named the 2019 Robert L. Ward Instructor of the Year. He also discusses changes in the industrial sector, the reinvention of Cleveland and other Rust Belt cities, and emerging technology that could be game changers for all commercial real estate professionals. Alec, first of all, congratulations and thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. So you started as an instructor with CCM Institute in 2008. Um, can you kind of talk about what, what led you to, to pursue that? Sure. No, absolutely. And I think most, it's funny, if you talk to most instructors and ask them why, you know, what, what were some of the driving catalysts for them to be an instructor, they'll all tell you the same thing. You know, someone impacted them at some point in the past. A CCM instructor uh, had impacted them at some point in the past, and and that mo- has led most of us on this teaching path. And there's other things, certainly, um, that that came. You know, that, that kind of pushed me in that direction. But by far and away, it was a you know an instructor that that I connected with at the beginning of my career that made you know a substantial impression on me and. And so, therefore, I wanted to emulate that person and be just like them. And 20 years later, I had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And in a more general sense, you know, why do you, th- why do you put such value in giving back to, uh, to the industry? Yeah, it's critical. I mean, it's critical for our growth. I mean, we're, we're really one of the last Wild West cowboys that are out there, commercial real estate, you know, see mm-hmm. hell it, eat it. So uh, I think it's important to maintain that that uh, that air of, of optimism and eternal success. And, you know, and, and so it's, it's critical for that type of profession to have people that you can rely on, the people you can connect with, the people that say, yeah, you can do this. You know, you, you, you can be successful uh, and make it in this industry. So, you know, bottom line, that's, that's why I do it, because someone did that for me. And, you know, you want to continue that legacy. Was it a matter of reaching a certain point in your career where you felt uh, able to, willing, you know, when, when did you realize that the time was right to, to pursue that? Yeah, it was a combination for sure. Uh, you know, it was hard. To, you know, I wanted to do it right off the get go, but didn't have the experience. Also, didn't have the time. You know, I had a young family, and and the demands of of being an instructor are great. I mean, you have to be able to balance professional life, um, home life, and now the CCIM life. So, you know, the time just—I don't know if there ever is an, an exact right time. Mm-hmm. But you know, once I had some experience under my belt and and felt like I could not only walk the walk, but talk the talk. Uh, and, the, you know, my family requirements eased up a little bit. Uh, so the, the timing all kind of lined up for me, you know, like like I said, about, about 12 years ago. Gotcha. Um, and then in the fall, you were, you, were, you received the Robert L. Uh, Ward Instructor of the Year. Um, what, is, what does recognition like that mean to you? Tremendous amount, tremendous amount. And, and really, you know, I'm the type of person that typically will say, well, really, it was nothing. But I can't say that with this because it is something. I mean, it's something that uh, as, as 
instructors will tell you it's it's a very prestigious honor. Um, and, and it's not just nothing because it goes back to all the way back to the founding roots, to Jay Levine and, and Bob Ward, who really made this curriculum and, and the Institute uh, an educational force in the commercial real estate industry. Um, so to be honored, you know, with that, that award that has its roots back to, you know, really the quote unquote founding fathers, it, it means a tremendous amount. I mean, if you look at the instructors that have won this thing, they're all instructors that, that really move the needle, that really go the extra mile to make the Institute the foremost, you know, source of commercial real estate education. And so to be kind of in that same group, it's not just nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it sounds like something that, that validates uh, the, the many hours that you put into to instructing. Yeah, no, and it, 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 absolutely, absolutely, and and so it's a and it's a you know measure like you said validation is a great word because it's a measure to me that yeah you know what I, I'm banging my head against the wall but but other people are noticing it so and it's making a difference because ultimately that's you know that's what we're trying to do I'm not trying to do it for accolades I'm not trying to do it for fame fortune I'm trying to do it to make a difference so that others recognize that that my peers recognize that that's you know satisfying gratifying taking part in that mentor protege. Um, relationship you have with students, um, you know, has your time as an instructor with CCM improved you just dealing with your clients and and, and the way you're capable of doing business? Oh, sure, sure. There's the, <laughs> it absolutely it absolutely has. You know, you, the ability to you know probably the most important thing that it teaches you is the ability to synthesize what can be a complex thought into something that anyone can understand, and I use that. You know, continually from, you know, trying to explain something to a coworker or to staff to trying to explain something to a client, to a buyer, to a seller, to an investor, um, you know, I use it continually. So that that's probably the, the biggest takeaway for me personally is that ability to just, you know, take a bunch of noise mm-hmm. and and distill it down to its essence and then be able to turn it back around and explain it to someone so they can understand it quickly. So, you know, that, that ability that you have as an instructor to do that absolutely translates to the real world, um, you know, and, and has made me a much better, much better communicator, which ultimately makes you a better practitioner. And kind of moving, moving into to commercial real estate um, and away from CCM Institute, um, recently the industrial sector of the market has undergone a, a significant change in the last 10 years. Um, and, you know, how have you handled the fundamental changes in the supply chain and how have your clients' demands changed in, in recent years? Yeah, it's 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 incredible, you know, what's happened. You know, industrial always was, and I'm from, you know, Cleveland, Midwest. Um, so industrial has always been um, an important part of, of our economy, our regional economy. But it's been more in the manufacturing sector. And, and that's bounce back, you know, it'll never be, be what it was, but you know, it's, it's different and, and that's okay. But the distribution, cause we're never, we've never been considered a real big distribution market. It's primarily a regional distribution market, but just to see how that's changed and kind of backfilled um, the losses that we've had in, in manufacturing and really helped stabilize our industrial market. You know, it's amazing. And it, it was a fundamental change uh, that, you know, really started, you know, 10, 12 years ago with, and there's a lot of things that precipitated it. It's, it's e-commerce. Um, it's, you know, much more sophisticated logistics models, being able to figure out the optimal places to distribute product and the ultimate ways to distribute product uh, and and changes in the transportation industry. So all of those have kind of commingled and, and created 
new this new norm for for distribution. And it will never be again a, a, a primary distribution hub like Atlanta or Chicago or you know L.A. You know those are Northern New Jersey. Those are you know those are. It's kind of the gold standard, but it's amazing to see that the, the strides that Cleveland has made over the last, I guess, that decade to become much more like those bigger markets. So we look at markets for cues, pick up cues, what may be coming down the pipeline because if it's happening in those major distribution hubs, it's probably going to be happening in Cleveland, you know, within six, 12, 18 months. Gotcha. And as far as that, that resiliency of the, the Cleveland market, um, you know, is, is there one or two uh, explanations for that, that, that surprised you or, you know, what explains the, the market's ability to kind of reinvent itself and adapt to change? No, I mean, yeah, we're, we're you know, Ohio as a state is, is pretty resilient. I mean, you look at some of our sports teams, I guess they have to be, right? They have to be. But in all seriousness, um, you know, I, I think that the, the manufacturing has helped, you know, the, the fact that manufacturing has seen an, an uptick, you know, that's kind of the underpinning. That's the, the backbone of our economy. Uh, but, you know, I just think that there's a lot of a lot, a lot of times I think that, you know, people think that, you know, in the Midwest are going to kind of roll up sidewalks and go home and everyone's going to move to Florida or Texas or Arizona and, and life goes on. But, you know, that, that speaking of that resiliency, you know, the people in Ohio aren't going anywhere. And so, therefore, I think a lot of the places have recognized that. And, um, you know, they've they've said, all right, well, it's not going anywhere. In fact, it's in it's growing so let's let's recognize that and figure out how to get these people product and how to move product and how to move commerce and obviously technology is impacting all different sectors of the market um, but as far as manufacturing and industrial um, is there one or two innovations that you see coming in the next two three five years that will be especially especially impactful and I think the one that everyone's watching is this driverless vehicle idea. As you know, that could really change the paradigm. Uh, you know, a lot of times you just go along and you see these little changes, little changes, little changes, and then all of a sudden something happens, you know, landmark change. You know, for instance, with computing, you know, you look at, you know, the landmark change was the internet. You know, everyone kind of saw computers getting more and more powerful and automation taking effect, and then all of a sudden, you know, the World Wide Web gets introduced and, and it's a quantum leap. Mm-hmm. So I think in the transportation industry and warehouse, um, specifically in, in manufacturing, that could be a quantum leap because all of a sudden the restriction on how much product, how far product can move in a day is, is changed. Because right now that's governed by, you know, how long can someone drive? You know, there's there's very strict limitations as far as how long the distance, the amount of time someone can spend driving a truck. Well, all of a sudden, if you switch to a driverless vehicle, those restrictions get lifted. If you think that, you know, commerce can move 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, that's a change. <laughs> that's a fundamental change. So I think everyone in the industry is certainly watching that, um, the, the autonomous vehicles, driverless vehicles to see, all right, how how much traction is this really gaining, no pun intended, uh, and well, ultimately, how is that going to impact the distribution market. Do you see that change coming in stages? Is it going to be a situation where the dam breaks and and regulations are eased and there's buy-in from the industry? You know, how, what kind of change? How do you see that change happening? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because change tends to happen. You know, the, the most you know substantial you know monumental change happens you know very quickly, and all of a sudden it's like, well, how did that mm-hmm. happen? <laughs> where did that come from? So I think it'll happen quickly. I think when it happens, you know, it's gonna it's you know we're talking a matter of you know 
you know, there are a few short years, I'm sure that that change will, will take a, take effect. And as far as other professionals, um, is there any advice that you could give them to prepare or is that, is that a secret that you're keeping? No. Yeah, no, you, you just gotta be, you gotta be on top of things. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people see it and, you know, see, you know, the autonomous vehicles and they just, you know, they figure out, oh, look, that's a fad or, you know, how cute I was went down the road the other day and I saw someone in a Tesla texting and, you know, wasn't that funny or isn't that crazy or isn't that dangerous? And, but they don't think, all right, well, uh, what could that mean to my industry? What could that mean to my business? Um, so that, that ability to, to link those dots, you know, to kind of connect those things um, and, and understand that, yeah, there's a much more broad impact that, that can happen here. So you better be aware, you better be paying attention, you better be reading, uh, and you better be continually thinking about how can that impact my professional world. And as far as, as 5G is another technology that's that's kind of hanging out there on the horizon, um, do you see that affecting um, what future tenants may want in a in a uh, manufacturing or industrial space? Oh yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I think, you know, there's been a, obviously a huge swing because for, for many years, you know, you can have a warehouse that was really large and in Cleveland, the really large warehouses, you know, three, 400,000 square feet. You go down to central Ohio, Columbus, a really large warehouses, a million square feet, but they would only bring a handful of jobs. You know, you'd have these vast acres of storage, um, and you know, with just a few people to run forklifts and, and help manage the truck traffic. But now with the shift, you know, you look at an Amazon fulfillment center, you know, there's a couple thousand, three thousand people packed into one of those. Um, so so it's it's I think it's it's a lot of ways it's nice and it's refreshing to see that, you know, these big footprint industrial users can come accompanied with people and with jobs. And, and the reason is, reason being, is a lot of the things you just mentioned, you know, the technology, the 5G, um, you know, the ability to have, you know, internal communication and picking systems and inventory systems within that warehouse, um, but still need people to handle and sort and process and make sure it's going to the right place. So, um, you know, I think those technology advances go hand in hand with kind of this enhanced job creation that we see in the industrial sector. Um, and we're soon to, soon to be entering 2020. Um, nobody has a crystal ball, but but what is your outlook on on the new year, and, and what do you expect in in uh, in 2020? Yeah, yeah, you're well. So this uh, this recovery is getting a little long in tooth, right? <laughs> It's getting, I remember Stu's famed real estate prognosticator, threes and eights. He said, you know, if you look historically, you know, years that end in a three are usually the bottom of the trough. Years that end in eight are usually the top of the trough. So in terms of, um, you know, recovery. So I think a lot of people were looking at 18, you know, 2018 um, as kind of the top of the trough. And, you know, we slopped over into 2019 and didn't really seem to lose much momentum. And, uh, but, you know, the party got to s- slow down at least, right? So, you know, this party can't keep raging. I mean, one of the founding principles in, in real estate is the cycle. Right? There's what goes up must come down. And there's a, a cyclical nature to the real estate industry specifically. Um, and we've been kind of stuck on this, you know, ever climbing higher and higher roller coaster. And and I think everyone keeps saying, okay, next year is the year, next year is the year. But I don't know. Unless something fundamentally changes, interest rates skyrocket or, you know, uh, you know, there's some fundamental jolt 
that, that really stunts the economy. You know, I, I, I see things rolling through 2020, maybe not as briskly as they have in 17, 18 and 19. But but, you know, I don't see the train coming off the tracks here in, in 2020. I think will be another solid year. Um, you know, again, with the caveat, so long as interest rates remain low, so long as there's no worldwide catastrophe, calamity, you know, it seems like we're always <laughs> one one tweet away from uh, from all heck breaking loose. So, bar that, you know, I think 2020 should be another another good year. Gotcha. So it's a matter of, of tempering expectations versus uh, chicken little and, and the sky is going to be falling. Correct. Correct. And great. And I think according, um, I went to your LinkedIn profile and um, you post some videos of, of yourself out um, at properties and, and kind of just going about your day and and, and, and doing your work. Um, can you talk about what, what led you to to doing those those little videos and giving people a look a look inside uh, inside your business? Yeah, it's funny. So this started a couple of years ago and they started as a joke. I mean, literally it was started as, as a gag and I, and I was trying to figure out a way to, to take a jab at one of my coworkers, one of my colleagues. Um, and so I did a video <laughs> figuring, okay, they're going to see this video and they're going to think it's funny and they're going to laugh. Um, and they did, but it, it kind of grew because some other people saw it and said, Hey, that was pretty cool. You know, I know it's a video. That was, was pretty interesting. Uh, and so the first couple I, I, I would just do for my office. Um, and then the landmark was I used to do them every Friday. You know, that was my goal. Was every, every, and still is, you know, every Friday to do it. And it was Friday afternoon and I hadn't done one and I had to make a run somewhere. Uh, I was out in the field and I'm thinking, well, crap, I didn't do that video. And, and, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it from the field. You know, I'll just do it from the place I'm going to. Um, and, and I'll think of something to do it from there. Um, and I did. And people love that. I mean, I got a lot of comments like that was really cool. That was really interesting. Uh, it was really interesting to get some insight in, in you know, in, in, from the from the real world. And so then that's when I started saying, OK, I'm just going to do this in the field. And I don't think I mean, I, I, I'll read things. I'll see things. I'll hear things. Um, but I don't necessarily pre-plan like I like this week's. I haven't really thought what I'm going to do yet. Um, and, and I'll think of something. Um, but they're almost exclusively exclusively from out in the field. And I'm absolutely blown away by the people that see these things and comment. So quick story. I was at a breakfast in Des Moines, Iowa. So former Institute president Dave Wilson invited me to be a part of a real estate symposium that Iowa has. They get it's a pretty big deal in Iowa. They get about 750 people. So I delivered a little CCIM education segment. So I was there that morning for the breakfast and I was sitting at a table in the back, you know, eating my breakfast, listening to a keynote speaker and a guy sat down beside me and, you know, I said, how you doing? You know, good morning. I said, good morning. He said, you know, I really love that one video you did on the bridge. The one you're talking about the bridge uh, in Cleveland. That was really interesting. I had no idea who this guy was. I'm in Des Moines, Iowa, <laughs> where I know like maybe 10 people. And here's a guy that sat next to me in breakfast along with 750 other people. And he saw the video. And so it just, it, and I can't tell you how many times that's happened where people that, you know, I would have absolutely no idea who they are, how they saw it in the oddest places have seen these videos. So the reach of the internet is, is truly, yeah, it's, it's, it's humbling and scary all at the same time. For something that started kind of as as you said a lark or, or a bit of a of a joke, um, you know, do you see them? Do you see these going as a way to to kind of uh, 
to network within the industry or are you aiming for, for potential clients or is it just a way to, to- uh, you know, it's, it, I, I don't really, I, I didn't design it to get clients. I mean, that's not really what I'm after is to try to sell something. Uh, it's, it's more of just an information piece. And I've always been, you know, kind of, uh, kind of a, a data freak, a data nerd. I would, and I still do produce a quarterly um, investment report, quarterly industrial report, you know, where I'll pull out statistics and I'll always put, try to put a spin because no one just likes dry things. So this is just, I really just see this as an extension of that. It's market information. It's market intelligence. It's maybe telling someone something that they didn't know about or they didn't hear about. Um, it, it, it's just an extension of a, of, of a blog, basically, or of a, of a report. Um, that's the way. It just is for information purposes. You know, does it help branding? Does it help, um, you know, uh, image? Does it help professionalism, expertise? Sure, I guess. But that's not really why I'm doing it. I do it just as an extension of of um, information, trying to get information. Gotcha. Great. Well, my final question is that I uh, I heard a rumor that, that you're pretty serious about making your own wine. Um, <laughs> how'd you get into that? And and. Uh, what's one unexpected thing that you've learned uh, with that hobby? Oh, uh, let's see. So I got into it probably about 10 years ago. So my, my father made wine um, and I always said that was something that I thought was kind of cool and kind of interesting. Um, and for, even though I was at a very young age, from what I remember, his wine was, was pretty bad. So, <laughs> so, so I wanted to try to get into it um, just because I thought, it, like I said, I thought it was interesting. Uh, it intrigued me. I like to drink wine. Um, you know, one of my catchphrases is life's too short to drink bad wine. So I figured, you know what, let me give us a whirl. Let me see if I can make decent wine. Let me see if I can make wine. That's a little bit better than what I remember my father's being tasting like. So I kind of get into it. And, um, you know, the first year I made not a lot. I mean, I think I made maybe 10 cases, mm-hmm. um, you know, 20 bottles roughly. Um, and it was good. And, but then it's, it's just like, other things, you know, the more you start to learn and the more information you can take in and the more people you talk to, um, the, the better the wine got. And it became kind of a, a vicious cycle. <laughs> I'd learn more. I'd take them, talk to more people. I started buying better grapes. I started buying equipment. I started buying, you know, uh, chemicals and, and this, that, and the other to, to try to, you know, make, the wine better and better each year. And, and it did get better and better each year. So now I'm kind of caught in this vicious cycle and I'm like, okay, how do I slow this train down? You know, how do I slow this train down on the track? So it's a lot of fun though. Uh, you know, my family, my whole family gets involved in it. Neighbors get involved in it. Um, you know, we use it almost as a social event, a social activity. Um, and like I said, I like to drink wines. So yeah. Yeah. So you're not going to be looking for any uh, any forty thousand square foot uh, warehouses or anything anytime soon, but uh, I'm kind of <laughs> <laughs> maybe not in the next couple of years, but that horizon, you never know. You never know, right? Great, Alec. Well, well, thank you for your time, and uh, and again, congratulations on uh, on being named the the Robert L. Award Instructor of the Year. It's it's, it's a major honor. All right, Nicholas, I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate. 